In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents the Betches Brides Podcast, a show for the wedding obsessed and the brides who are stressed, because after all, it's only one day of your life. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Betches Brides. I'm Sammy Fishbein, and I am your host taking you on my Corona Bride wedding journey this month. Today, I am joined by a very special friend of mine. Her name is Nalini Abragamov. She is going to tell us a little bit about some of the background behind a Jewish ceremony. Um, A lot of you have asked to go into um, more information about different customs and different types of weddings. So as I've explained before on this podcast, I am having an Orthodox Jewish wedding ceremony. Um, A lot of you may have been to um, Jewish ceremonies in the past and maybe not, maybe known or not known a little bit about what you were seeing. So today we're going to be shedding some light on what a Jewish ceremony looks like. Welcome, Nalini. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome. I'm so excited that you are joining us. Um, just for some background, um, I've known Nalini for about five years. If any of you have heard my story on DST about going to Israel, I have, um, I don't even know which episode I told that in, but um, I've known Nalini for a very long time and her husband is actually going to be officiating our wedding in a week and two days. So we're very excited. So soon. So exciting. Yeah. Okay. So let's start. Um, There are a lot of Jewish customs that people are familiar with, even outside of Orthodox ceremonies. And we want to talk about some of the traditional meanings of what those things are. So let's do the first thing, the most obvious, the chuppah. What is the chuppah about? Why do we have one? Okay, great, great, great start. So yeah, there are so many components to a Jewish ceremony. And the chuppah is something that, you know, will generally translate as the bridal, the the canopy, the, you know, the wedding canopy. And it does look like that. That is what we we reference when we say wedding canopy, we'll call it a chuppah. But it actually has many deeper layers of meaning on a metaphysical plane in Jewish thought. So I actually like to think of a chuppah as a ceremony that allows for a spiritual reconfiguration of souls. So that sounds like really lofty and uh, esoteric, and I'll explain what I mean. I think even like we're all sort of, we speak about finding my other half and finding the one, and we use those terms, you know, we throw around that, that, that kind of jargon and that language when we're talking about marriage and finding my spouse. So, you know, there's a, an interesting debate in the Talmud that discusses, you know, is, is my, my life partner, is my spouse somebody who I was predestined to meet? Or is 
do I just choose who I'm going to marry, right? There's this debate, how, how much of my life is predestined and how much of it is based on choice? The question, the, the all-time soulmate question. The all-time soulmate question. And, uh, you know, whenever I do a class on dating, I, I always feel it's critical to address this because when someone's looking for that feeling of, is he the one, you know, how do I know, is it it? And we use the, we throw out these, these terms and that's a lot of pressure. Like, how do I know if it's the one? And um, so, of course, the Talmud, this is an all, you know, historical question that we've, uh, that we've battled and, and tried to get clarity upon. So really, um, in Jewish thought, I guess we'll call this Souls 101, because souls are much more complex than, you know, a, a few minute podcast discussion. Um, so there's an idea, I like to think of souls as two halves of a locket. And, you know, if you think about a locket, so you know, with your best friend. So a locket will have that jagged edge, you know, uh, and those, those, two, those two halves can come together and interlock like jigsaw puzzle pieces. So you can choose, you, we do choose who we stand with underneath the chuppah or the marriage canopy. And what happens in the process of chuppah, because the chuppah, even though we translate it in, a, in English as a marriage canopy, it actually is a term in Jewish law. And what happens is this ceremony allows for these two half lockets, which may not naturally interlock like two perfect jigsaw puzzle pieces. But what the chuppah process does is it reconfigures those two halves so that they can potentially connect in the deepest level, on the deepest level possible. And the work of marriage is then to unite and come together in that perfect, you know, harmony and, and connection. So that's really what chuppah is on a, on a deeper level, or at least on one, one of the deeper levels, is allowing for those souls to, to connect like that. Wow. So what is it, why, why does it look how, how it does? Like what's the, is there a reason why chuppahs typically look a certain way? Yes. Okay. So the, the, the standard look is that it needs to have four posts and it's open on all sides. So um, there's, and of course, there's all different types of decorate, how you decorate it, if you use flowers or material or whatnot is for sure personal taste. But those, the, the, it does represent on a more simplistic level, the Jewish home. And just like the Jewish home is meant to be, you know, we have the couple that stands at the center of the chuppah because when, during the chuppah ceremony, the couple stands there. They really are the, the central pillars of the home because a home is not just a structure, right? That's with a brick and mortar or whatever you build your, your physical space with. It really, a home, home is where the heart is, home is where the couple is, and the, that it, the, you know, peace in the home and the way that the couple interacts with each other is what creates the home. So the, the, the couple stands at the center of this home. It's, rep, it, you know, the, the fact that it's open on all sides actually represents the idea that um, the home should be open, you know, open to the world. 
Um, perhaps some of your listeners are familiar with the idea that um, uh, there's a, a, an Ashkenaz or East European custom, right? Those of Eastern Europe, European descent will have the custom to circle the, where the bride circles the groom seven times. And uh, that circling actually represents the idea that her, her husband should be the center of her home and her, her focus. And she circles him seven times. Seven is the idea. Seven in Jewish thought represents this idea of seven days of creation, right? Seven is a whole complete number and where we, we build something new. So a bride will circle her husband seven times, representing that he's going to be the center of my home. And she's sort of building these walls around him, these protective walls, that when he walks into this home, he should feel my love, he should feel secure, he should feel taken care of. And uh, so on the one hand, she's building walls of protection. And hopefully he doesn't have any affairs. So that is also (laughs) what she, you really better circle hard. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and if hopefully what ends up happening is when he becomes the focus of your life and he becomes the center of your world and he feels that love and he feels that, that um, being cared for and being, you know, um, all of your affection is given towards him, hopefully he won't be looking elsewhere. But um, those, the, the circling also represents for those who are familiar with um, the the book of Joshua, when right Joshua was circling Jericho, so he actually circled the city seven times in order for the walls to come crumbling down. So when when she circles him, she's also trying to tear down any walls that may exist between him and her. That all those walls of separation should come crumbling down and they should feel that complete unity in that way as well. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. So Newly is a subscription clothing rental service for just $98 a month. You can get your choice of any six styles. You choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. There are no parameters. You get access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees. There's no late fees, no damage fees, no fees to pause or cancel. So no big deal if you like lose a button. Uh Oh, I spilled something on it. Or you just need to take a break. They have inclusive sizing all the way up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. You always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code BRIDES20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code BRIDES20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code BRIDES20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. That's very interesting. Is there a reason why the man does not, the groom does not circle the bride? So that's an interesting um, question that you ask, actually, because um, 
you know, today in modern, you know, 2020, uh, crazy 2020 year, um, but where we where we've come to a place where women are, for the most part, um, I would say, you know, certainly we have equal rights, even though we might not have equal pay. Um, you know, all those things are up for debate. But historically, the home has always been the woman's domain. And oh, don't I know it? I mean, although it's not really, it's hardly my domain only in my relationship, but yeah. Whatever dynamic works. Histo- uh, we'll speak about it historically for a moment because today I yes. think that we, we divide our, we certainly like women go out to work just like men go out to work. And, you know, we contribute in that way to the home and men certainly contribute to the home, you know, the running of the household, um, you know, just like women can contribute to the finances. So men can contribute to the, the cooking and the cleaning and all of those things as well. Definitely cheer that on. Yes. Um, so I think historically what that represents is the idea that the, the, the chuppah, which represents the home, is the woman's domain. And for her, it's about like what it represents is this focus. And even if she's working out in the world, and there are plenty of Orthodox Jewish women, right, the vast majority of them, right, are, are working outside of the home. But, you know, who does not have a dual income today? Um, in order to make it in, in uh, today's world, we, we need every penny, um, especially in New York City. But um, so, but, but, and yet, even, even though a woman is working outside of the, outside of the household, she's still right, creating that environment in the home. She's the one, it's her flavor. It's what she brings, the energy that she brings to the household. So she, in fact, there's, a, there's another statement in the Talmud that says, my, my, my wife, that's my house. And right, that a wife, not just that, okay, she doesn't, it's not saying that she doesn't leave the house, obviously, but she creates the home. And uh, I think that's really why it, it's in that way that, sh- that she circles him as opposed to the opposite. I think most people can relate to that. Um, the wife kind of being the one to make the house, you know, even if we're just joking about it, it's, I think, a very real dynamic, um, especially you even see it in like the Corona, you know, there's so many like studies that have been done during Corona that it's like women are doubling their load, even though both people might be home. Um, yeah, especially when it comes to parenting, but that is an, that is a, a conversation for another time because <laughs> okay. we're going to go back to the hub. Okay, so you just talked about. I what? do think that's a very real, real point, though. That I like, we just keep adding to our plate. You see that right. the more women go out, it doesn't mean that they do necessarily less at home. But the yes, second shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, okay, um, now I want to talk about, um, so under the chuppah, traditionally, um, even if people will do sort of like a secular variation on a Jewish wedding, um, they usually do say similar um, prayers or they'll use, you know, the, the seven prayers as a, like a base. So could you sort of just kind of like, you don't have to go through each one, but like explain what the effect, what like, what is being said, what is being done in that moment? Okay, great. So um, it always starts out with wine. <laughs> you know, the, the Jewish people like to uh, 
We like, we like our wine. We like our alcohol. Um, you know, in all seriousness, um, wine actually is, represents transition. So um, there's an idea that when we make the blessing on wine, um, we typically will do this like most frequently on Friday nights when we bring in the Sabbath, when we bring in Shabbat. Um, also when we leave, when Shabbat leaves, right, Saturday night. Um, so we transition, right? Wine is the, always a, a physical um, manifestation or expression of transition. So when we are sanctifying the day of Shabbat, we make a blessing on wine. When we leave Shabbat and we're going back into the regular weekday, so then we also make a blessing on wine. So what's the transition that's taking place at a wedding? So the transition is actually going back to what we spoke about in terms of the chuppah. It's about this transitioning of souls. My husband will usually use the, make this uh, statement underneath the chuppah that this is the only time when we say one plus one equals one, right? That there are, right, we have, right, two different people coming together and they're becoming unified. So we're transitioning. There's a, there's a transition that's taking place of the souls, right, where these souls are coming together. So that's um, the first blessing that's said. And I think the other most significant blessing is um, the blessing of the, of the marriage, which interestingly, you know, it's said in Hebrew, um, and typically it's said in Hebrew, and it really is a blessing that has to do with the um, sexual relationship between husbands and wife. And most people aren't necessarily aware or thinking about what's being said if it's being said in in hebrew um <laughs> well now this the, the secret's out so secret's everyone out. next time you get to your jewish wedding you know what they're talking about <laughs> that's right um because this is really what defines the relationship it defines the marriage right you could be you know today you could look for a roommate on craigslist and you're not necessarily if you're a female but you could look for a male roommate um, right? People don't necessarily only have right same gender uh, roommate situations. So right, this is really what defines a marriage. Right? It's the it's the sexual relationship between husband and wife. So what this blessing is really about, it talks about forbidden sexual relationships, and right, it's the it's we say like blessed are you God that sanctified us regarding forbidden sexual relationships. And forbade to us those who are forbidden, and permitted to us those who are married to us through chupa and kiddushin, which is the marriage ceremony. And um, you know the what, what really because in, again in Jewish observance, so a couple will not physically touch one another until after the chupa right, until after this marriage ceremony. So what was forbidden just a moment ago is now permitted to this couple, right, after the ceremony. And the concluding blessing is that this is how God sanctifies his nation, Israel, um, right, um, through, those, let's remember the words, right, through the laws of chuppah, right, and Kiddushin. So, right, this whole blessing is about not just that the couple is now permitted to each other, 
But actually in Jewish thought, we really believe that it's the sexual relationship where that accesses holiness and brings holiness, not just to the couple, but actually to the world. Um, and, you know, I just find that to be a very powerful uh, idea. Very sex positive post-marriage, not so much pre, <laughs> but, yes. you know, it, yeah. So we, so was, that was, is that all of them? Aren't there like No, other? there are, yeah. there are actually a number of, there's um, six more blessings after oh. that. Um, yeah. So, and they really also speak about, um, I say the general theme is about bringing honor to God and that marriage is really a vehicle, right? It's another tool through which, uh, you know, um, mankind can bring honor to God. And the truth is, and, you know, I don't know how, um, you know, if this is a popular sentiment today, um, but, you know, I, I would certainly make the argument and certainly in Jewish thought, this, this is a, a prevalent idea that the family structure is really the basis and the foundation of a healthy and functioning society. And when we see the breakdown of family, then we tend to see the breakdown of society around us. So, right, the, the marriage as a foundation and a, is, and a building block, not just for the couple and their internal, you know, structure that they're building in like their home, but actually that's the building block for society and the world. And that brings honor to God, right? In Jewish thought. Well, it, you know, it makes sense um, just given that it makes sense like historically how marriage has evolved, that it was like always a, it was always under the purview of religion. And then it later became under the purview of the state, but it was something people were already doing. And then like government, you know, state or whatever governments took it as like oh now this is like a legal thing but in reality it started you know as basically like a you know a religious tradition that people did um i do want to just make sure we get through everything so i want to talk about the the origin of rings because you know people love the ring yes very exciting where does that come from Okay. So, um, what does a ring represent other than just, you know, a lot of value and three months salary (laughs) for men? Yes. Okay. So totally kidding everybody. I'm just making it. Okay. (laughs) I'm sure they know you by now. Um, if they've been listening to your podcast. So, um, the truth is, is that, um, you know, today we have the engagement ring, which definitely, you know, uh, is somewhat costly um, for for those for those hardworking men. Um, and the wedding or band, women, or women, which correct, or women. Um, and the the wedding band in Jewish thought is actually doesn't is not nearly as costly, and it really is required to be something that is plain. I just had um, one yesterday. They had to actually, wow. it had a little, it actually had like a little engraving in the inside and they had to buff it out for what, yeah. because of what you're about to say. You're right. You are definitely preempting. So um, it's a good segue. So the idea of a ring 
is the, the ring is a circle that has no beginning and no end, right? That's the, the um, you know, the, uh, I, I guess, outstanding feature of a ring, <laughs> right? Is <laughs> that it's circular and just like any other shape may have points, may have beginning points, end points, circles, there's no beginning, there's no end. It just represents the cycle. So um, in the cycle of life, there's really three main, um, I guess, transitional points. There's birth, marriage, and death. Not very romantic. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But um, since marriage is a point, right, of transition in the cycle of life, so we, we, we the, the ring is really part and parcel of the marriage ceremony. And, um, you know, it also represents a link, like a link in a chain, because each marriage really is, you know, a, another link. Each couple is another link in this chain, this chain of history, in this chain of, you know, uh, family, Right there is so it's it's on two levels, right? Two well that's how you create like another so each marriage is now creating another in theory birth, marriage, death, like or multiple, yes. you know. Yes. So exactly, exactly. So that's um that's really the significance behind uh behind the ring. So then how does the hora and the idea of like like why do why is there so much circling in the hora and generally Jewish dancing? So I don't know if I have so much insight into like the significance of the horror. Um, I do think it became, um, in general, by the way, you know, so for those of Middle Eastern um, Jewish descent, there isn't so much horror dancing. <laughs> um, so some of it's really cultural. And a lot of things, a lot of the customs that we're familiar with are have to do with what culture you come from and we do somewhat we do adopt somewhat the the culture of our host society that we live in so in european culture i don't know it could be i'm not sure but it could be that that was the the style of dance um right. you know and that kind of got adopted into uh uh you know the jewish the jewish dance in fact um, a lot of the Hasidic uh, dress is not, you know, it's not necessarily Jewish. I mean, now we call it like, we, we, you know, since that's how Hasidim, you know, dress, so we call it Jewish. But it's really how Europeans dressed in their host countries in the 1700s. And, you know, the, and that we're like, of, we're sticking with it. We have the yeah, clothes. We, the fur is, is cool. You know, we <laughs> like the look. We like, <laughs> so yeah. it kind of stuck. So some things are just, you know, things that we've adopted and they've sort of stuck. Um, but in terms of the horror, you know, if I was going to attribute some significance, it would be similar to this idea of the ring, this idea of circular, of life cycle, of chains, you know, a link in a chain. Well, um, coronavirus might be the end of the horror. We'll see. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So just one more, which is part of the ceremony. Um, the breaking of the glass. What is that about? Okay. Um, great. So, you know, I, I recently was at a wedding actually this past Sunday. 
and um, another Corona wedding outdoors. And I, I, I'm personally, I, I'm a little more of a nature girl. I love, uh, I love these outdoor backyard weddings. Um, and I'm always very moved by, you know, a Jewish ceremony and a chuppah. And I got very emotional. And, you know, in Jewish life, we, I, you know, there's no, we don't have like the Grammys or the Oscars, you know, like the, the, the most celebrated event in Jewish life is a wedding. And there's really just no greater joy. And there's no great, like we get dressed up the most, we sell, we travel from all over. Like this is just, this is where it all happens. So right when we're standing in, in the, underneath the chuppah with this, this unbelievable joy and clarity, we, were, we break this glass to remind ourselves that my joy can't be complete without the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. So just to give a little bit of historical context, right, for those of you maybe that visited Jerusalem or, you know, you, you've read about it, right, there's the, it's called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. It's called the Wailing Wall because we, you know, we've always come there with our tears, right, coming to, like, this was the, 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 the focal point of Jewish life was the service in the temple. And we're waiting for the time when that temple will be rebuilt and there'll be peace, not just for the Jewish people, but for the entire world. Would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that definitely requires, I think, a deeper dive into like Jewish history and what that like means, you know, fully. But I mean, I think in terms of getting behind the sentiment that, you know, Jews are never totally just rejoicing. We're always like a little (laughs) bit upset about something. I can relate to that sentiment. So (laughs) I hear you. You know, I will find something to be upset about. Don't worry. Yeah, we're all capable. We're all capable. (laughs) Okay, Nalini, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting conversation. I'm glad that you got to share everything with our audience. And, you know, they're going to get to see what this is like in practice in 10 days, nine days. Oh, my gosh. It's so exciting. Can't wait. Can't wait to see it. Same. All right. Thank you. Um, this has been Betch's Brides. Anyone who wants to follow us on Instagram to get really interesting tips, follow us at Betch's Brides. If you have any questions for me specifically, um, DM me at Sammy on Instagram. And uh, till death do us part, this has been the Betch's Brides podcast. Betch's.